It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, what's up? Sean here with another episode of Locked On Raptors, a Saturday edition. There are two games for us to talk about today. We're going to dig into the very ugly stinker of a loss in Utah on Thursday night, and then a pretty fun win over an admittedly very depressing Sacramento Kings team last night. But Pascal Siakam looked awesome. We're going to talk about his ups and downs over the last two games. We will dig into the loss of OG Ananobi and what that's going to mean going forward, and how the sort of wall that Scotty Barnes has hit might make it a little bit more difficult to navigate that loss. Plus, we got two dudes of the game to hand out at the end of the show, covering both the Jazz and Kings games. That's all coming up on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. what's going on welcome to episode number oh god what number is it 1061 of locked on raptors for saturday november the 20th i'm your host sean woodley of raptorshq.com you can find me on twitter as always at woodley sean you can find the show at locked on raptors we can find links to every single episode of the podcast and of course please make sure to check out the podcast free and available on all of your favorite platforms whether it's the podcast app you can follow subscribe rate review on apple spotify google play all that or you can find it on youtube and hit subscribe over there. It's much appreciated when you watch the video version of the show as well. And even if you're not going to watch the video version, just uh, click on the link and subscribe to help juice the numbers. That's There's no harm, no foul in that. Uh, either way, thank you so much for being here, making us your first listen of the day. Today's show is brought to you by McDonald's, and uh, they have been proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. All right, on today's show, as 
uh, mentioned off the top, we are digging into the loss to the Utah Jazz on Thursday and the win over the Sacramento Kings last night. Kind of dig into the big takeaways from those two games. Honestly, not a whole lot to take from that Jazz game other than throw everything out in the trash from it. It was a nightmare performance. We will dig into some of the elements of said nightmare performance during the show today. And then, of course, we got that win over the, the Sacramento Kings to talk about last night, which was a pretty fun one, all things considered. Uh, so let's dive in first. You know, we got dudes of the game coming up later, too. But let's begin with Pascal Siakam, who I think was kind of the main storyline, the through line from these two games and the ups and downs that he experienced. You know, I think the thing to take away from these couple games is you can't take too much from a single game from Pascal Siakam at this present time. I know whenever Pascal has a bad game, the sort of Pascal skeptics, the people who, you know, like to, you know, have insane sort of like over-the-top dramatic takes about what Siakam is and what his future should be come out of the woodwork, and that's fine, whatever. Be a fan however you want, and, you know, be sort of overreactionary if you'd like, but I think it's really important to keep in mind here that we're six games in to Pascal Siakam's return from a six-month hiatus with shoulder surgery. He didn't get any preseason. He didn't get his off-season runs where he gets to, you know, cook dudes at Rico Hines. He didn't get any of that, and he's still working his way back. And so, yes... That Thursday game against the Jazz was a nightmare. Four points, I think five assists, four in the first half, only one in the second half. Had three boards, but didn't get his first board until 29 minutes into the game. Look, it was not a good game. It was one of his worst games as a number one for the Raptors. Maybe one of the worst games of his career, frankly. It was a really, really rough performance. But that said, I don't think you can take that game and spin it into any sort of grand take about Pascal Siakam. And he showed why the next night against the Kings, which we'll get to in a second here. But let's kind of maybe diagnose what went wrong in that game against the Jazz a little bit first. I I think, you know, first off, credit to the Jazz. They very clearly came into this game thinking... We are not getting cooked for another 30-piece by Pascal Siakam again. He has destroyed the Jazz over the years. You know, the last three, four, five seasons, whenever they've come across them, he's got a really good understanding of how Rudy Gobert helps and where he's going to be. Even in the game on Thursday, he had one really beautiful sequence. I think it was his uh, second field goal of the game. He was posting up. He had one guy on him. Gobert was on the other side of the key, was coming over to help. But Siakam knew exactly where he was going to be. He did a little dipsy-do, went underneath Gobert, missed the block shot, scored there. And that was really nice and promising to see. Obviously, did not repeat that at any point through the game. But you see that he kind of does know the beats and rhythms of this Jazz team more often than not. Just this game, they really sold out to stop him. They sent extra bodies his way. And he leveraged that into playmaking in the first half. He had the four assists. He closed out the first half in that game to put the Raptors up by two with a beautiful baseline pass to Scotty Barnes waiting underneath around a couple defenders. That was great to see. He just did not translate it into offense at all. He was weak going up around the basket. His jump shot was off. And it was just a nightmare performance. It really, really was a bad one. And it was not like one you could even defend, really, as someone who typically like gets my guard up when Siakam has a rough game because I know how stupid the conversation's about to get. I really didn't have anything in that one. I just kind of went to bed and was like, yep, that was terrible. A really, really bad Siakam game. And there's nothing you can really do about it. But he did do something about it against the Kings, and he came out with just like a, an aggressiveness, a you know, a calm, a poise, and I think a sort of 
like tunnel vision in a good way type of vibe in this game. You know, the Kings, credit to the Kings for being terrible defense. They're a nightmare team. They bum me the hell out. I'm hoping this game will go down as the game that lost Luke Walton his job, although he probably should have lost his job, uh, you know, before he got hired, number one. Uh, But, you know, also in the last couple of years where he's been a nightmare coach basically his entire time with the Kings, hopefully this is the, the dagger and that puts him out of a job. But either way, I think... The way the Kings guarded him certainly allowed him to get cooking. They sent single coverage at him basically the entire night. They didn't really double him up. And Siakam, to his credit, didn't try to force things in the playmaking department. I think we saw that last season quite a bit where, you know, he would kind of have an easy lane to the basket or it would have a matchup he could size up, but instead would kind of defer and almost lean too far into the playmaking. And this game didn't do that at all. Had just the one assist, but finished, of course, with 32 points on 10 of 12 shooting, uh, hit all of his threes and got to the line 10 times, hitting nine of them. It was a really beautiful, highly efficient, one of the more efficient games in like recent NBA history. Uh, per some of the stats you were reading through last night after the game. Really, really great stuff from Siakam. And again, I think a big part of it was that he realized, okay, the Kings aren't going to do anything to really stop me, and I can cook Harrison Barnes one-on-one in the mid-range. I can get to the basket against Tyrese Halliburton if he switched on to me. I can blow by Rashawn Holmes. It's not a problem. And I just love that aggressiveness from him. And the thing I loved even more about Siakam's game was the fact, A, that he defended pretty well in this game. The Raptors as a whole kind of found their defensive verve once again. It wasn't, you know, it's not the same as it is when you have OG and Anobi in the lineup, which we'll get to coming up in the next segment here. But uh, I do think the, just like the rotations were a lot crisper, they knew where to be, they didn't quite like lean into the over-aggression the way they did against the Blazers or the Jazz, which I liked to see. It was a little bit more reserved. They switched a little bit more. And I think that without some sort of individual heliocentric dynamic player on this team, like a Donovan Mitchell or a Damian Lillard, they didn't feel the need to send two to the ball and find themselves in rotation. And I think that was good. I think it helped insulate Scotty Barnes a little bit, although we'll get to him too. He had some struggles defensively over the last two games in particular. Um, and, you know, it looks a little bit rough right now, but we'll get to that. That uh, you know, I, I don't think that's too much cause for concern considering what he's shown so far. But the way Siakam, you know, played on defense and then spoke about defense after the game was really encouraging. You know, after the game, I thought what he had to say was extremely just like refreshing to hear from a guy like Siakam. And I think it really speaks to the different mindset that he's in this season. He spoke about, you know, him being too hard on himself and how, you know, he's got to find a way to be a little bit kinder to himself and not overanalyze everything he does because he does put a lot of sort of pride into how much work he does and what what goes into his preparation. And he, you know, spoke about not being so hard on himself, a lesson that we should all take, really. He also spoke about how he wanted to come in and play defense last night more than anything else. I know it looks like, you know, he's going out and searching these mid-range jump shots and pulling up from three everywhere. You know, it seems like maybe offense would have been the focus, but he said, I just want to defend and be there and kind of set the, the tone and lead by example on that end so as to, you know make it so we had this baseline of defense and then on the offense becomes a lot more easy and I think it was really encouraging to see everything from Siakam last night from the mid-range pull-up to the sort of bag he was working on with the step backs and stuff like that 
You know, I think if you think back to recent seasons, his mid-range game has always looked a little bit clunky. It's not really had a lot of smoothness to it. Sometimes there was like an Amir Johnson trebuchet-style release on some of those step-back, you know, mid-rangers and stuff like that. A lot more smooth in this game. And if that becomes a staple of his game, which has slowly become a thing over the last couple seasons here, I mean, it just kind of adds to the overall importance of Siakam to this Raptors team. And you saw last night exactly why he's so critical He is hands down the most dynamic offensive player this team has. He's the guy who can get into the teeth of the defense the best and pass from within the teeth of the defense the best. I just, I loved everything we saw about Siakam's game last night, and I hope we see it continue. And look, you know, it's been up and down, and I think you can expect that, right? Like like we said, he's been six games into this so far, had a minutes restriction for the first couple games. That Celtics game was super rough. That Jazz game was super rough. Otherwise, he's looked really comfortable, and his playmaking has been there the same way it was last season for the most part. His counting stats aren't quite there, just 17.3, 6.7, and 3.8 right now, but considering he's managed a 59.6 true shooting with that clunker of a 2-14 game against the Jazz baked in there... He has to be pretty encouraged with where he is right now. And I think the fact that he's shooting threes pretty eagerly as well, he's shooting 40% on 3.3 attempts a game. Again, very small sample there. You're looking at like 20 attempts there. But I think the fact that he's eagerly putting putting them up but not relying on the three to be a big part of his game, that's a big switch from last year because he averaged nearly five attempts per game last season. And... It was kind of a crutch for him where he didn't feel like driving into the teeth of the defense. He didn't feel like he had the room. And part of that is because he didn't have the room because there was no spacing on the floor for that team last year. And I think he felt compelled to just, all right, well, there's no way for me to get to the basket here. I'll just fire up this three. There was a passiveness to him. I think we're seeing where that balance should be right now, where obviously he has to have the three to keep the opponent honest. But I think really the fact that he's able to get downhill and get into the the sort of the, the difficult areas where he can find big to big passes kick out to shooters make his playmaking shine that is just like a new version of Pascal that we didn't quite see last season even as his playmaking progressed this version of him i think we'll see the counting stats really tick up here as we go forward he's not going to shoot 10 of 12 for 32 points every night or anything like that but i think last night was a really good example of what the best version of Siakam can look like for this team and how he can kind of help unlock and continue to improve their offense which really their offense is going to be critical here it was a good offensive night last night 96 points in the first three quarters before you know a kind of garbage timey fourth quarter derailed that a little bit but they looked incredible on that end of the floor last night Siakam obviously a big reason for that and I think it's only going to be bigger a bigger sort of piece of the pie for the Raptors here is their offensive efficiency as OG Ananobi is going to miss some time of course he missed that jazz game was ruled out just before and it seems like he could be out quote unquote a while I don't know what that means it sounds ominous it's not awesome and the Raptors offense is going to come into uh, stark uh, focus right now because OG makes life a lot more difficult we'll dig into why life without OG is going to be super difficult for the Raptors coming up here in just one second but first before we do that I want to tell you about our friends over at prize picks who have the best NBA DFS prop game on the market prize picks offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as a bunch of bench players uh, only recording a handful of minutes each game prize picks offers any prop you can think of from yardage to touchdowns to points 
points to rebounds to interceptions thrown. All of your all of our users that deposit and use the promo code NBA will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks. So you put in 100 bucks, you get 200 bucks magically in your account to play with. Just use the promo code NBA. You can pick two to five players and an over under on their projections, so you can win up to 10 times as much on any entry. And it's just you versus the projected numbers. There's no expert behind some sort of dark internet wall. You are just up against the projections. That is a great, great way to play. It's how it should be. It's how it's designed to be. And Prize Picks allows you to make mixed sport entries as well, so you can bet the over on LeBron, the over on Pascal Siakam points, and the under on Patrick Mahomes' yards thrown if you want to be so bold. Either way, you can use the award-winning app on both the App Store and on Google Play, and entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals as well. So don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com. Use the promo code NBA or go to your App Store and check out the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Go check it out. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast, and being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, let's continue on here and talk about life without OG and Anobi. And we saw in that jazz game on Thursday in particular how it's going to be difficult without OG. I talked before that game about how I thought OG, if he were going to play, would be the key chess piece for the Raptors defensively in that one. And it would allow them to play, I think, a little bit more of a kind of defense that could put the Jazz on their heels, or at least challenge them. They did not challenge the Jazz in this game at all. The first half, they were super aggressive with their traps, and that fell apart because you didn't have OG around as a help defender or as an on-ball guy to make those traps more difficult to navigate out of for Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley. So you didn't have that option available to you. And we know how they've struggled with the rest of the guys on the team in their rotations, particularly Scotty Barnes, who looks like he's very much out to lunch on a lot of these possessions. We'll get to him in a sec. But when it comes to OG, had he been available for that Jazz game, it might have allowed them to lean more heavily into switching, where you could have Ananobi pick up Mitchell or Conley and not have the constant sort of string of blow-bys that we saw in the second half when they did scale it back a little bit. But then you got some unfavorable matchups with either Barnes or Siakam on Mitchell in space. And we know Siakam's just not there with his lateral quickness yet. I think he'll get there. And we know Siakam's also more of a really great help and team defender than he is necessarily a one-on-one guy, especially against smaller guards. Whereas Barnes, like, he's getting blown by by every small guard right now. It happened with De'Aaron Fox on Friday night. Happened with Mitchell and Conley on Thursday. Happened with Lillard and Norm and McCollum on Monday. It's been a particularly tough stretch here. Uh, It doesn't get any easier on Sunday as the Raptors take on one Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. So that'll be an interesting test here for for Barnes as well. If he is going to get switched on to guys, it could be a bit of a nightmare with that Warriors offense and how attentive you have to be away from the ball. 
Barnes is just not that right now. And that's okay. He's a rookie. Rookies are supposed to be bad at defense. And the fact that Barnes was so good early on probably has taken the level of expectation to maybe an unfair level for a guy who's 20 years old and was projected to be more of a project. So again, we'll get to Barnes in a second here. But not having OG really put the pressure on the Raptors to have a really great offensive night, which they did in the first half. Like, they had 63 points in the first half against the Jazz. That was great. And they obviously had a great offensive game against the the Kings the next night as well. But when their offense tailed off in that third quarter against the Jazz, where it kind of just became a string of bad turnovers from Siakam and Van Vliet, and, you know, the heat check of Gary Trent Jr., you know, was on the bench or something like that. He had an enormous game that night, by the way. Uh, We'll get to him in the due to the game. There's a tease. But I think just the fact that the offense lost steam really made it so they had no chance of reeling the Jazz back in once they took a lead in that game because their defense just didn't have the horses to compete with the way the Jazz want to play. Obviously, not every team is the Jazz. They came into that game on Thursday as the best offense in the NBA, despite being a bad three-point shooting team basically all season long. And then, of course, the Raptors uh, are the slump busters when it comes to bad shooting teams, so good on them for upholding their reputation, I suppose. But that, I think, really encapsulated how difficult it's going to be to survive on the defensive end without Ananobi. You know, they start with the Fred, Trent, Barnes, Siakam, Birch look against the Kings. And it looked pretty good, you know, for the most part. The bench unit, as we'll get to as well in the next segment, looked fantastic uh, against the Kings as well. The defense was flying around. You got Banton, you got Boucher, you've got Achua all kind of flying around with their limbs and their sort of chaotic energy. And that was great to see. But... Without OG, you just lose that big horse, right? You lose your best on-ball defender. You lose your best switcher. Like, you can't run a really effective switching defense when your best switch defender is unavailable. And so, again, this is going to put that much more pressure on the offensive side of the ball to really maintain the level it's at right now. The Raptors currently are number eight in the NBA in offense per NBA.com, which is kind of insane. I don't really know how they've gotten to this point, but they're number eight in offense per NBA.com. So congrats to them, I suppose. Like it's, it's probably actually a little bit higher considering they mostly played garbage time last night. And this is not the uh, cleaning the glass stat where they account for garbage time. And really the Raptors stunk in garbage time last night and dragged down their offensive rating for the evening. They were just killing it in the first three quarters. And I wonder, I don't have cleaning the glass in front of me, but I do wonder if maybe there was a bit of uh, an increase for them even more than there would have been last night because of the first three quarters before garbage time kicked in. So again, they're going to need this offense to uphold. They're going to need, you know, like they're going to need some kind of cobbled together defensive strategy here as well because they can't keep hemorrhaging points. They didn't last night against the Kings. The Kings are a nightmare. I can't imagine it's going to be as easy against the Warriors or other teams are going to come up against. They're going to be up against John Morant in a couple nights against the Grizzlies. That's going to be a tricky one as well. But I think with the way the offense has started to play, the way there seems to be some connectivity here, even though the assist percentage remains league low by like three percentage points, there seems to be a bit of more of an idea of how they want to play on offense. And I think that gives them a shot here if OG is going to miss two, three, four weeks with this hit pointer. Again, a while is not really a very good timeline, so it's hard to really judge or expect things or what's going to go forward here. But yeah, I think... This is going to be a fascinating test. And again, I think it becomes an even more difficult test if Scotty Barnes has, in fact, hit a bit of a wall here. You expect this to happen with rookies. Scotty Barnes was just a, a freaking rocket shot out of a cannon. What? what? I don't know. A horse shot out of the shoot. I don't know. Looked incredible coming out of the start of the season. Like, looked way beyond the 20 years old that he is. 
And now the scouting reports on on him. Like they know that the mid range jumper is a thing that he's going to do. They know that he's a great finisher around the basket and demands extra help and collapsing around the basket. And they know that he's not really going to shoot threes. And Nick Nurse has spoken about that, begging him to shoot threes. He's passed up a couple wide open ones in the last couple nights here. I would hope that he'll lean into it a little bit more just to you know keep the defense honest and just test it out for him. This is still developmental season for Scotty Barnes. More than happy to see Scotty Barnes just test the waters with three-point shooting a little bit. He has not really done that as of yet. And this is going to be a really fascinating next couple of weeks because I do think without OG in the lineup, the next couple of weeks with Barnes starting could determine... If he plays well, he could hang on to that starting job, but it could make the decision to start Kem Birch and move Scotty Barnes to the bench that much easier if he continues to play this way. And it might be the reasonable thing to do. You know, as much as I don't think anyone wants to see Barnes moved to the bench, it might be that he's overextended right now. And if he's playing in the second unit where he can maybe run a little bit of point, get the ball in his hands, feel comfortable as opposed to having to kind of learn the off-ball side of the game kind of on the fly here, maybe that's a better way to sort of, you know, develop him, ease him in. I'm not saying move him out of the starting five. I still think starting the small ball starting five is the move and will be sort of the closing lineup for this team, probably their best lineup by season's end. But I do think if Barnes doesn't play super well here in the next little while, can't figure it out on defense, continues to kind of hemorrhage points because he's out of position and just kind of unsure, sort of doing the large Matt Thomas thing where he's just like, I think I'm supposed to stand here, but he's not. If that happens and OG's return is within the next, within the next couple of weeks here and Ken Birch continues to play his ass off, I think that makes that decision a whole lot easier. And so we'll see. I'm really fascinated to see if Barnes can now adjust to what the league is doing to him. Can he find it back again? And the thing to keep in sort of mind here to have some perspective is, yes, Scotty Barnes has struggled on the defensive end. He shot one of eight last night. But at the same time, he threw like three or four passes that nobody else on the Raptors can throw last night, including a no-look pass to, I think, Kem Birch in transition for a dunk that made me yelp on my couch. Uh, so he's still doing stuff like that, which is pretty awesome. And like for me, when you're thinking about, oh, the team has a fourth overall pick, what are they going to get with it? If you're telling me they're going to draft a guy who does cool-ass no-look passes... You've already won my heart. You've already had a successful draft pick, and obviously he's capable of doing so much more than that. It's just a little bit tough for him right now, and I do think the OG absence is going to really amplify what's going on with Scotty right now. It could make it more difficult for him to sort of subsist here, or maybe he turns it around, and we're talking about the starting lineup controversy all over again once OG is back and available, hopefully in not too long a time. We will wrap that segment there and uh, move into the dudes of the game for the last couple games. We're going to talk about Ken Birch and Gary Trent Jr. Frankly, you could have switched them around in any way you wanted. They were both dudes in both of these games against the Jazz and Kings, the kind of two consistent through lines through both of them. We will get to those two guys and hand out due to the game award nominee, whatever the hell we're calling it, uh, honors in just a second here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars money can buy. Thanksgiving week for our American Pals is coming up next week, and if you are someone who, like me, sometimes just feels like having a turkey on a Thursday in November, and you want to have that Thanksgiving experience while all your American Pals have a good time, well, guess what? Built Bars are for you, because they 
are delicious and they can replace those very unhealthy desserts that you typically have at the end of the night that you don't really need. You want the savory stuff. You want to load up on the turkey and the gravy and the stuffing and all the carbs and you want to lay, you know, maybe you don't want to actually have that pie. Usually you're going to regret that piece of pie. You will not regret that Built Bar because a regular slice of pie has 300 calories and that's on the low end. Meanwhile, Built Bars are only 130 calories on average with four grams of sugar and plenty of protein as well. Replace that coconut cream pie with a coconut Coconut Built Bar or that Raspberry Built Bar is a great sub for that Raspberry Pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie or sweet treat you might want to have to cap off your Thanksgiving. They're low-calorie, low-carb, low-fat, high-protein, covered in 100% real chocolate. And why not, like, bring a bucket to your family gathering and just toss them around to people? Have them catch them in their mouths. I don't know. You uh, can be the purveyor of Built Bars at your family gathering. All you got to do is go to Built.com and buy some. And there's new surprises all month long on Built. Com, so please make sure to check out every day to see what kind of limited time flavors are popping up. They happen all the time around the season, so go and uh, and check in there. And there's nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday as well. Mark your calendar because Black Friday will be a huge event with, with all sorts of surprises. Go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. That is the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. All right, rounding out your first listen of the day here on a Saturday uh, with the dudes of the game for the last two Toronto Raptors games. We will begin, of course, with Thursday night's dude of the game. And I got to say, the two guys who have won these awards, Ken Birch and Gary Trent Jr., could have won either one. Gary Trent was incredible on Thursday night, 31 points on 12 of 18, could not be stopped. The real bright spot for the Raptors in that game. Ken Birch has been an absolute just like menace on the defensive end the last couple nights, and the floater game, especially on Thursday, was very much on. And then he went and kind of did it again uh, in Rashawn Holmes' own house on Friday night, which was kind of fun for me, a person who is sick of hearing about how much the Raptors needed Rashawn Holmes. Either way, you're due to the game for the game on Friday night, sorry, Thursday night against the Jazz is Kem Birch. Did not have the 31-point game that Gary Trent Jr. did, but he did have a really impressive first half that allowed the Raptors to survive their insane defensive scheme. They played like really on the edge, really a high-wire act in that first half, trapping 30 feet up the floor and just begging the Jazz to carve them open in space. And the Jazz did that. They, you know, Rudy Gobert had many shots where he had a six-inch advantage over the next high, next tallest Raptor and easily scored. You saw him making short roll passes to shooters, and you saw plenty of wide-open threes in the corner for Royce O'Neal. To the point that Royce O'Neal and Boyan Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles were so open in some moments that they just traveled because of how open they were. It was kind of wild to watch. Kind of a galaxy brain defense thing from Nick Nurse, perhaps. Uh, yeah, let's leave these guys op- as open as possible so that we break their brains, perhaps. How, maybe that, that'll work. It didn't really work because the Jazz, of course, shot super hot in the first quarter. They were like 6 of 11 from 3 in the first quarter. Remained hot the rest of the game. Really blew it open in the second half. And, you know, again, uh, you know, the Raptors' defense, I thought the process behind changing up the defense in the second half was smart. 
but they didn't bring the offensive level to accompany it the way they did in the first half. And really, the vehicle by which they accompanied their bad defense with good offense in the first half was Ken Birch floaters. Just nonstop Ken Birch floaters right outside of that range where Rudy Gobert really has that sphere of influence. You know, you get that 11-footer that's just outside the Gobert zone, and I thought Ken Birch was fantastic in that game. They've gotten really good at finding him. The chemistry with Fred Van Vliet is very much there, and I'm just glad to see Ken Birch kind of back and playing at the level that we know he can, where he's just this rock-solid stabilizing force both ends of the floor as well. You know, his defense, I think, on Friday night against the Kings was even better than it was against uh, the Jazz on Thursday. I mean, whose wasn't? <laughs> but he was just every He had four steals, two blocks in that game against the Kings, was everywhere around the basket. 10 points, nine boards. Really great weekend so far for Kem Birch. But he gets the due to the game. His first due to the game win for his performance in mostly the first half against the, uh, the, the Jazz on Thursday night. And now we move on to the second due to the game of the weekend, and that is, of course, Gary Trent Jr., who last night was just a, a spectacle for the Toronto Raptors. Look, people might not like the fact that he never passes. People might not like the fact that he kind of gets tunnel vision. I am totally okay with it. I, there's a very, very real chance here that Gary Trent Jr. is about to occupy the Terrence Ross-sized hole in my heart when it comes to gunners on the Raptors. It's nice to have a gunner. It's why I loved Serge Ibaka so much. Yes, he had fashion. Yes, he punched people. But the reason Serge Ibaka was great is because he had no conscience and would take 10 shots in a row without passing. And sometimes you just need that, especially in a team like this where so much of their identity is passing, passing, passing until they find the right shot. Sometimes just like having a dude who can go make a shot from 18 feet is a nice thing to have. And I love watching Gary Trent Jr. He's super smooth. Yes, there you know, are always going to be limitations with him. He's not this super bursty guy. He's not going to get to the basket. And obviously, he's not much of a playmaker. And he kind of teases you a little bit too because he will throw like really beautiful pocket passes from time to time. He'll really kind of put a defender on his hip when he is kind of in that mid-range and find a big or you know get a little kickout pass or something like that. He's gotten a little bit better with it. There is a little bit more, but we saw him run a ton of pick and roll last night. He must have made one pass out of the pick and roll against the Kings. But who needs it when you're scoring 23 points on efficient shooting? And the thing about Trent in the game last night, too, was they were running stuff expressly for him. Nick Nurse talked about it after the game dug into how you know they just kept running set plays for him and he just kept knocking them down there was a baseline out of out of, uh, out of bounds play a little pin down they ran for him on the baseline that he buried a couple other sort of off-screen things that they ran for him in addition to having him run pick and roll and why not like green light Gary all the way turn it up for green light Gary let him be part of the offense you're gonna have to funnel shots somewhere now that OG is gonna be out for a while he's been taking like 17 shots a game why not funnel them to the guy who can kind of hit them from everywhere and you know hit the mid-range hit the three-pointers on the move on the catch whatever it is I'm all for it I, I think like allowing this time to be a spot where you kind of let Gary Trent Jr. test his limits and test his bounds more than okay with that for me. And I think a way they can do that, and we saw this work out in the second quarter a little bit, was they ran him with the bench. They ran him with that, you know, super long and gangly bench crew, and he was really effective. Look, do I wish the Raptors would keep one of Fred Van Vliet or Pascal Siakam on the floor at all times? Yes, but they made it work with Trent last night. And I think, you know, again, he's 22 years old. See what he can do. See if he can kind of find, a, you know, chemistry with a big, maybe Chris Boucher. There's some pick and pop, you know, and pick and roll chemistry there or something like that. 
Why not see what he's capable of doing? Your team has a dearth of creation and playmaking in the half court. Gary Trent Jr., of all the guys in the team, kind of profiles as maybe having the most potential to develop that side of his game. Maybe he doesn't, and he's just like a six-man for, for the future, but all uh, that's fine too, because six-men of, of the future are very fun and cool, uh, and I love watching them play. So, yeah, I think... Trent last night, very earned due to the game nominee. He kept the team afloat, really kind of made that second unit sing for the first time in quite a while. The bench has been such a sore spot for the team all season long. They've needed someone to tie this collection of chaotic weirdos together. And I don't know if I want to put my money on Gary Trent Jr. being that guy to tie it all in a bow, but for one night he was, and I'm very okay seeing it again just to see if maybe there is something there and you can kind of allow him you know, to kind of be this central offensive force where he can look for his own shot, he can score six, eight points to keep the team, you know, afloat in those second unit minutes. And then you have those other guys who can really just focus on flying around on defense and doing the thing that we saw from that Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Chris Boucher group a couple years back, where really, yeah, they're not going to score a ton, but they defend like maniacs, they really make the other team uncomfortable. And if you have one central offensive figure, maybe you work in a Scotty Barnes into that second unit as well to give a second guy who can handle the ball, maybe run pick and roll with Gary Trent Jr., if, if teams are going to sell out to stop Trent, you've got Barnes in the middle of the floor to work in the short roll. I kind of like that as a way going forward here. You know, another way they could do it is just make Malachi Flynn play more. And I think everyone wants to see that, uh, except for Nick Nurse, who barely played Flynn last night, despite it being a huge gap for most of the game. And so that's another way you could kind of juice up that second unit. But if you're going to run Gary Trent Jr. as like a six-man type guy who, you know, works with that second unit and is the central offensive force, I think you could do a lot worse. And at the very least, maybe you'll learn that he can or can't do it. It's kind of about testing the bounds. We, we've seen like 30 games of Gary Trent Jr. in Toronto. We don't really have the full book on him. We won't have the full book on him for a while. Why not try to fill out one of those chapters and see what the book is on Gary Trent Jr. as a guy who can run a lineup? So that's kind of all I got on your dudes of the game here. Gary Trent Jr. with his second win. Ken Birch finally on the board. And uh, that will bring, into the, bring an end to the segment that everybody is clamoring for and to today's podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, very much appreciate you making us your first listen of the day. Reminder, you can go subscribe, rate, review, follow, tell a friend uh, to the podcast and all of your favorite podcast platforms and on YouTube. So please go hit the subscribe button there. You can go make your second listen of the day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Josh Lloyd, like me, is uh, doing Saturday episodes all the time. He's just constantly cranking out episodes to help you with your fantasy basketball team. So go and check that show out for sure. And uh, we will be back again on Monday. The episode with your own Weitzman that was supposed to run yesterday will actually run next week. The interview, we had to just reschedule thing. He had some kids stuff as a father that he had to attend to, and our original recording got bumped to next week, but we will have that episode, excuse me, probably on Tuesday. And then uh, we'll give Vivek on to talk about the Warriors game, most likely. We will have a loaded week next week as they uh, go and finish up their road trip, taking on the Grizzlies. And I think the Pacers is the last game of their road trip. I could be wrong there. Either way, they are very much on the road till uh, next weekend at the very least. So we will finish up there. We will wrap it, and we will talk to you again on Monday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.